This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, Jalen, it's good to be back recording with you for the podcast. You know, uh, I always enjoy this time that we have together because not just do we get to do this podcast, but we get to catch up and hang out like we have for many, many years. So how have you been? How are you doing? What's going on in the Chan household these days? Yeah, in the Chan household, we are continuing homeschooling. And as I told you before, Jenny has been teaching the kids uh, an Africa unit. And so they've been going through different countries of Africa, learning about, you know, um, the different people groups and what's what happens in each of the countries and stuff like that. And one of the things that we tried to build into the curriculum was having food from different countries of Africa. And so uh, recently we studied Kenya or they studied Kenya. And we had some Kenyan food. So we had some ugali, which is like this uh, cornmeal type of thing that actually is similar to polenta. Uh, that was mm. that was pretty good. Uh, and then Jenny also made this uh, beef curry stew. Uh, that was really good. And, and then like this bean and coconut uh, sort of dish. And so the kids loved it, I think, because after they learned a little bit about the culture and about uh, the country, to kind of experience it like with their hands and taste it. Uh, they, they really enjoyed that. So it's been a fun experience uh, doing those sorts of things that are helpful. I think for our family, just to stay engaged with what we're learning and also to kind of break up the monotony of, you know, COVID life at home all the time. So, but yeah, that's a fun thing at home that we're doing now, but what's going on with you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. I will say this, that having eaten much of Jenny's food over the year, I would look forward to eat just about any of the food from any teaching unit that she does. So we may have to schedule my next trip back around one of these uh, country units so that I can try some of that food. But for me, let's see, you know, something exciting that I did over the weekend is uh, me and a few friends, actually, um, Josh, who does our our social media graphics and was a guest on the podcast. Uh, the two of us and another friend headed down to Monterey for just a day trip. So it's about an hour or so, hour and a half south of San Jose. And it was, uh, I don't go to see the ocean very often. And so it was, it was just a good trip hanging out with the guys. We stopped by for some delicious seafood along the way. And yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. Saw this, uh, you know, 17 mile drive, which is near Pebble Beach, I think. Yes. I saw you post on Instagram about that. And I messaged you because that's actually where Jenny and I got engaged, right? I told you that we were at Spanish Bay where, uh, where we got engaged in 2007. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I got I to gotta rewind that back in my mind how long ago that was. But yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. When I saw that picture, I was immediately really excited and messaged you about it and told Jenny. So uh, good stuff. Yeah, I did not know that that's where you guys got engaged. Had I known, I would have brought back 
some sand from the beach for you as a souvenir or something. Yeah, that would be really cool. <laughs> we actually, I, I took some some sand from that beach already when we got engaged. Okay. Hopefully so that's that's not illegal to do from a state park, but it is. Oh, yes. Nobody listening to this, don't rat them out, all right? <laughs> so, but yeah, I'm excited for our guest to the podcast today. Uh, we have Pastor David Wong joining us. And um, as we were thinking through how to introduce uh, David, I I think I realized that um, there are a lot of different connections that I have with, with Pastor Wong. And uh, I'll let him share himself about just his role right now and what he's been doing. But the connection that I, that I have is that the church that I served for many years at, Wheaton Chinese Alliance Church, was actually planted by David uh, many years ago. And he was the, the founding pastor of WCAC. And so his legacy and impact on me has, has definitely been felt. And now we are co-workers in the same uh, denominational family. And so, uh, David, we're just really thankful that you're on the podcast with us. And we're excited to just have a chat with you about your ministry and, and how God has led you over the years. Thank you, John and Jalen. I really appreciate this opportunity to serve. Uh, on this podcast, well, uh, it is true. 1978, we planted the church in Wheaton, Illinois. People would think, why, why in the world would you plant a Chinese church over there? Well, I spent four days looking at the demographics and thought, you know, the migration is going to move out from uh, Chicago out to the west side. And uh, God has been good. We saw the start of the church. So uh, we were actually sent out by the Canadian CNMA to plant that church. So I'm a, I was a form, foreign missionary <laughs> coming to the U.S. to plant a Chinese church. Yeah, that's incredible. I think that thinking back to that time and looking at church planting, thinking about the demographics and how that particular city or that town in Wheaton would change maybe over the course of the, the next few years or decades to have that foresight and to have that vision is pretty incredible. Could you share a little bit more about uh, sort of your journey through ministry, maybe a little bit about your calling into ministry and why specifically church planting uh, was on your heart or has been on your heart? I came to America in 1971. I grew up in the Philippines and it was missionaries who told us about the gospel. These were missionaries who were kicked out from China and went to the Philippines and they spoke uh, Cantonese. And so they invited my mom to teach Sunday school and that's how we went uh, to church. In 1971, I came to the United States uh, here to make money. I was a businessman. I was basically in the advertising and banking field. In 1973, I married my wife, who is from Nashville, Tennessee. I told her, you never have to work because I'm going to make all the money. You, you be a stay-home happy wife. And well, little did we know that three months after we were married, I told her, I think I sense God's calling to go into ministry. She said, I knew all along. <laughs> okay. We, with a really short, you know, um, uh, time between engagement and marriage. Uh, 18, month, 18 days after I met her, I proposed and she said yes. So we married a year later. And so three months after we were married, I said, I felt called. And another three months later, so six months later, I went to the seminary. So we started seminary in 
January of 74 at Golden Gate Baptist and finished in 76. So it's a challenging time to have an interracial cross-cultural couple ministering in a Chinese church. So all that time we were serving at Cumberland Presbyterian Chinese Church, right in, down, in Chinatown, San Francisco. And uh, but then the Lord calls us to do church planting. So December 77, driving out our little Shabbat, um, I have a two and a half year old and a six month old driving all the way to Chicago to plant the church. So what were some of the challenges that you faced just in that initial, you know, the first couple of years as you were planting this church in Wheaton? I remember hearing a story before, I think when you came to share at our church about you were some of the people that you were um, inviting to the church, you were just basically going through like the phone book to, you know, to find them. And if their last name sounded Chinese, you'd give them a call to see if they were interested in checking out the church. But so I imagine that, you know, planting in in the early, you know, 1980s versus planting a church uh, nowadays is pretty different or things have changed quite a bit. So what were some of the challenges early on that you faced? The criteria I have is if I go to a city or an area where there are 2000 Chinese, then it's enough for me to start a church because I'm looking at 10% who we can reach. So I look on uh, the restaurants, uh, Chinese grocery store. Uh, there used to be a Montgomery Ward. I will be out there on a Thursday when the shrimp and the seafood comes. I'll be standing in line and talking to people. Well, here's the big challenge. Uh, my Chinese is really, really poor. So I'm going to start a Chinese church using English, preaching in English, and then translating into uh, Mandarin Chinese. So uh, God is good. I speak four Chinese dialects, uh, Cantonese, Toisan, uh, Mandarin, and Fukien. And uh, so that's helped me to connect um, with people, especially in grocery stores. My children would be on the lookout. They said, look, that Chinese, Chinese, go get them. So it was an exciting time. Uh, to approach them. But then uh, you're right, the phone book. That's where I look up the names and give them a phone call. And amazingly, really 50% takes my call. And so my approach is very direct. I said, I am a pastor looking to start a church here. I do not know the Chinese community. Will you be so kind as to help me understand this community. May I come to your home? Really, I have number of people who said, you're welcome. Come talk. So the, this idea of um, relating to people very honestly, very openly, and uh, very humbly, uh, open doors. I think that's an incredible story. And I think it's also a great testament to the hospitality of the Chinese community that they were willing to open their homes to you and invite you in. And I can't help but think that that might not be a great way to, to church plant these days, but 
maybe it is. Uh, what are some of the challenges or maybe the differences you've seen over the years, the, the shift in church planting strategies for Chinese churches? I believe that technology has a lot to do with it. Uh, with tech today, uh, we look at our society, we are much more close society, people are more suspicious. The people that were here in the 70s, uh, many of them came as students, many of them came uh, really in their college years. And so their exposure may be on campus today, uh, campus ministries and to the hospitality of Christian uh, organizational churches. And so they hear the gospel that way. But today there's a, a shift in immigration policies. We no longer are having as many from Hong Kong or, or Taiwan or even mainland China. So the people who are coming today are those who are basically professionals or investors. They are the new rich in China. So one way I would reach them, and, and this is the amazing thing that I really think Chinese church ought to uh, really explore. Many of them send their children middle school and up, especially even to high school, to um, the United States, send them to private school or Christian schools. Uh, what they're looking for is that these children will at least have a way to go to college uh, straight from high school on up, okay? So we have rich people who are 14 year old and up. So uh, reaching the parents this way, and they will be out here buying a house uh, for themselves when they visit. And so the professionals, again, is a big challenge. Uh, so today, the church le leadership are recognizing the need for good English ministry. So in the past, it was like, uh, you're babysitting my kids. I'm happy if you would sprinkle some Chinese values to them, not necessarily Christian. Uh, but today, uh, they value that. They recognize that their children, uh, they want to keep their children in a Chinese church rather than seeing them go to a, a Western American church. We didn't get a chance to touch on this, but I uh, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about just the journey that you've been on as far as church planting, because the church in Wheaton was not the only one. So you were actually sharing not just theoretically, but from the experience of having planted multiple churches. So what were some of the other stops that the Lord led you on after you left Wheaton? Well, we were commissioned by the Wheaton Church to come to the Washington DC area. So I was helping the Chinese Churches Association, like the church planting director, uh, you can call it that way, uh, unpaid as a volunteer. So I basically go to some city to city looking at places where we can plant Chinese churches. And Washington DC has been in my heart for a long time. Nobody wants to come. They said, well, this place is, you know, if they work for the federal government, they're hard to reach. So in the end, um, uh, I said, well, we'll have to be the one to come. I remember coming here in uh, 1983 uh, to Washington, D.C., the day that uh, uh, President Reagan sent troops uh, to Gren uh, I think Grenada, 
uh, at that time, and uh, they were having uh, issues out there. And I look at it, I look at paratroopers and whatever to say that we need to be invading enemy territory, if we want to call it that way. So for two years, we prayed about this, waited for other people. And so we eventually said, welcome ourselves to plant this church. So uh, did my study about it. And so we were here for five years. Our first two years, basically, we, 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 know, we didn't know anybody. We basically planned from zero and rented a community center. In two years, God so blessed us that we were able to purchase land and a property from which now the current church building is standing. So after um, five years, I felt the need to take a break and uh, we start praying about what do we do next. So uh, I took a year off. I basically say, God, we're gonna pray. My wife is very supportive. She was a, a, a teacher in Montgomery County. And uh, the CMA had its annual general council in Washington, D.C. Big one, 2,000 people would come and right in Washington, D.C. And here I am uh, in the planning committee um, being part of the whole thing. And we said, you know, we have no witness in the city, in Washington, D.C. What type of church, what ministry should I take on next? So I planted two Chinese churches using English and the Lord put into my heart to say, you need to go into the city, come into this city and plan an international church. People were laughing at me. What? Why do you want to do an international church? What's the difference between a multicultural and international church? Okay, so the idea of an international church, really Dr. Philip Tung was all behind it. I didn't have the funds to do this. Our district didn't have the funds. So for the first year, every month, uh, Philip Tung would give me $800 a month to supplement our income. And he says, you know, this is the right track to do an international church. So, uh, so we're not just talking about Pan-Asian, we're not talking about certain ethnic groups. Now we are looking around globally. Uh, so I was at Washington International Church for 21 years and retired in 2012. In that 21 years, we have seen people from 122 countries come in and go out. DC is such a transient place. So we were reaching diplomats, we were reaching researchers, we were reaching military personnel, we were reaching students, we were reaching the poor, having the, uh, reaching out to the homeless as well. So uh, it was so fulfilling to do so. So at that end of 2012, I said, I'll retire. I didn't know what God will do. And so Wheaton Church invited me back uh, in November 2012 for a missions conference and asked me to preach. So I said, okay, I'll do that, uh, but no Mandarin, okay? Only English speaking. And they said, they, finally they agreed. I said, otherwise I won't come. Well, the night before on a Saturday, the Mandarin speaker had uh, to be rushed to a hospital uh, with pneumonia. 
So I had no choice but to have to preach in Mandarin. Well, after the Mandarin service, there was a guy who was there. Uh, you, you may know Paul. He came up to my wife. He said, I, I sat in both services. How would you like to go to China? That blew our mind. What? Go to China, do what? He said, well, a seminary had asked me to come and look for someone to teach in the seminary and gave me five criteria. I said, what are those? He said, well, you, you meet all of it. I said, what are those? Well, he has to be older, so he would look wise. He has to have a doctorate degree. He has to have experience. He has to uh, speak Chinese. And then uh, we won't pay him anything. He had to be on his own, including housing. We have none of those. He said, well, you fulfill all four. He said, housing, the fifth one, I'll take care of that. You stay in my house. So those five things uh, uh, were fulfilled and led us to teaching in a government-approved seminary in Guangzhou. So for the next four years, we were teaching every fall semester practical uh, pastoral theology in the open church seminary. And then when I reached 70, I said, I, I can't climb these three flights of stairs in the summer anymore. Just, uh, so I said, I retire, but I'll go back to help the churches. So we were helping with two English speaking churches that were openly meeting under a tree self church. So it was wonderful. It, we could never imagine those doors open to us. So 2018, after six years of going back and forth to China, we decided that this is it. December 2018, we came back. In January 2019, the Gatesburg Church uh, asked if I would come back and serve as the advisory pastor since they were without a pastor. So this was the church that we started in 85. Well, just to let you know, in two more weeks, I will retire for the third time. It seems though, uh, just from hearing your story, David, that you've tried to retire a few times and God has had a different plan for you. So that may, it may not stick this time either. So we'll see how the Lord leads. But it was just such an encouragement to hear um, your journey and your story to go from Wheaton Chinese Alliance Church and then you planted Gaithersburg Chinese Alliance Church, Washington International Church. And then, you know, and I was there for that mission conference. I remember when you were kind of put into emergency duty and having to, despite fighting it, having to preach in Mandarin and, and just amazing how God has used that to lead you to places where you could not have imagined. So thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you also just for being faithful to what God led you to and put in front of you uh, and not, you know, running from it. I, I think that's an encouragement to me and to Jalen and I think to our listeners as well. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as you've shared your journey in church planting and uh, with Wheaton and Gaithersburg and the International Church, one of the things that we want to do as a podcast is, is, to, is, is to search out and look for and understand the joys and challenges of ministry. What were some of the joys of church planting um, as you've had these different experiences? What are some of the things that God has really given you a lot of joy in doing this type of ministry? Well, it is understanding 
my calling. Um, my wife is the daughter of a pastor. So as a ministry partner, that is so essential. Uh, that she was there understanding what it means to be a pastor's family. So the joy there is to seeing the faithfulness of God. Uh, it's incredible because when we went to Wheaton, we didn't have enough uh, money. We trust the Lord. So I even applied for food stamps to, to do this, to do this work. And after about three months, I said, well, I really have to trust the Lord for this. And God just supply, uh, you know, people. Uh, we never ran out of Chinese mushrooms. Somehow people keep sending us. Uh, and people would send us ham yi, you know, the salted fish. Okay, because we were from San Francisco. They said, oh, these are poor guys. So it's amazing to see how God supplies our financial needs. Now, God also supplies people who really are called to be fishers of men. Uh, I call them bringers. Uh, in every church that we planted, we will be looking out for people who we can develop as leaders and those who we can help them uh, really grow in their gifting. And that is evangelism. The greatest joy is to see people come to faith in Christ. Many of them really at our dining table. Uh, so we invite them to our home. Uh, usually within two weeks of somebody visiting the church, um, they'll get an invitation to, to dinner. So that's uh, great joy. And the third thing is uh, really I'm, I am very much an entrepreneur. I like to start things and do things creatively because I'm not succeeding somebody. I don't have to follow somebody's footsteps. I don't have old traditions that you, you need to dismantle. And so if you make a mistake, I have to take that responsibility. I mess up. Uh, if it works out well, well, you see that it is the work of God and his people. So that's, those are wonderful joy. Well, the challenge that comes with it also is that you have to be looking for these people. I really believe in recruitment and not looking for volunteers. Because when you're looking for volunteers, when you advertise other, I need so-and-so, I need so-and-so, uh, people may come up and oftentimes they will fail to meet their commitments or reach that standard of expectation of, I believe very much in doing things with excellence. So you have to have an eye for people who would fit certain roles and come alongside them, encourage them and train and help them to grow. Yeah, I can just hear in, in the way that you, the way that you think and the way you're sharing about the ministry, just how, yeah, how much it's wired into your DNA to be planting these churches. And I'm reminded of, you know, in first Corinthians where Paul says that like, that, you know, he planted others watered and it's God who gives the growth. I just think there's something special about hearing someone who just knows this is what God has wired me to do. I think something that's really interesting to me is in each of these churches that you've planted, you did not leave, like you left in some ways, like just as they were getting stable, growing, you know, and, and then God moved you to something else. And oftentimes people plant something and then they stay with it, you know, for a long time, but you kind of saw it as, 
once it's ready to go, it's time for me to move on. And so what were some of those signs or um, ways that God kind of let you know, hey, it's time to move on and to release this into whatever I have for it. But now I've got something different for you. How did how did you know that? How did you recognize that? Well, one of the thing is I would I would ask God, I can leave this church when we have a building. That's one of my criteria because that's one of the things that um, uh, many church planters do not have uh, the privilege to see through. And God has been good. All three churches we were able to have a building. And so, um, and I've seen churches um, have past pastoral transition two years after a building is completed. Uh, there are many things. One is that uh, there are issues that comes up between people or sometimes people with the pastor, or finances that comes up, challenges of maintenance of growing the church. And so those are the things that happen. Uh, for myself, it is the satisfaction to say, uh, I think I've let them this far. I'm not a maintenance guy. And like what you just quoted, you know, I planted all this water, but God caused the growth. So learning to let go is one big lesson. And when I say let go, I really mean it. So when I leave a church, I do not go back to uh, interfere or influence uh, anybody out there. So it's a clear break. Yeah, I think that, you know, as you, as you as you've shared so much about your experience and being able to have sort of the vision to move on to the next one, uh, I can sense that you, you've gotten to a point where you can see that God is moving you on to the next place and then moving on to the next place. And, and now as you're coming up on your, your third retirement, what are some of the challenges that you see for the Chinese church today? What are some significant uh, next steps that the Chinese church should be aware of as we continue ahead and move, move on? I believe the Chinese church leadership have a lot to learn and grow and make changes. I'm glad to see at Gatorsburg a tremendous um, shift uh, in mindset. I'm talking about not just a mindset of how to do things, but the church culture needs to change. And so uh, that's why I'm uh, giving them the idea of making it an international church, not just be the English congregation of a Chinese church. So uh, GICF, so now it's called Gaithersburg International Christian Fellowship. That used to be what they call the EM or English ministry. So a new identity, but maintaining it as one church. So this is key uh, as we enter into uh, a new phase of Chinese church uh, growth. Uh, we need to keep that in mind. The church needs to stay as one church. You can have multiple congregation. And uh, right now we are without pastors, but we're looking for one for the Chinese congregation, one for the international congregation. Uh, each one will be a lead pastor in this congregation. So there's no senior pastor, no associate pastor, in it, but they're not co-pastors either. So this is a, a, a new experiment, if we want to call it, 
but we've seen this model work uh, with, with some uh, churches. So pray with us about this. I'm very hopeful, optimistic about Chinese church. And yet God has to do its work in the hearts and minds of church leaders uh, to mold us into ways that will adapt to our culture. And, um, they have to be very bold to make changes. Be very humble to see that God is going to do the work and be very patient with, with one another as they wait and, and see what God's going to do. Well, you've heard it here, listeners. Uh... Gaithersburg International Christian Fellowship is looking for pastors uh, that they have needs there. And so if if that might be you, you feel like the Lord is leading you into something new, then you can uh, reach out to the podcast and we'll connect you with Pastor David and you can have a conversation with him because I know that he's looking for the right people to step into that role and, and really serve that church community. You know, David, just as we wrap up, uh, we wanted to end with this question. We asked this for all of our guests, but what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that's currently serving in a Chinese church? I would say that look to the time uh, where God is leading you to make a transition. So when you're in the church, don't plan and say, I'm going to be here for three years, five years, or seven years. Don't set those dates. Okay, God will let you know. Now, here's the thing. I would say make your transition when you are at the top, when you are your very best. Don't do it when you're at the bottom, when nobody wants you. It's when they want to keep you and that you are open to God's leading. God, this is wonderful. I want to stay. But God is having that uh, thing moving in your heart. Part of it is restlessness. Part of it is vision and saying, I'm, I'm hearing the mission and the vision God is giving to me, and, and I'm going to be obeying that. So that's what I want, I would want to leave you with. Leave when you are at the top, at the best. Thank you, David. That's some really helpful advice and really encouraging. I think that John and I are both really thankful for your ministry and for sharing your story. I think there's so many uh, wonderful truths that you've reminded us of and, and taught us here. And so we thank you for your ministry and for your faithfulness. We thank you for being uh, a pastor who has walked uh, many years ahead of us, and we appreciate your example. So thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for carrying on the torch. Thanks, David. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.